0: advert about the Evangelical Alliance, um, but I'm going to hand over to Steve. Wow, thank you. And uh, I've come down from, from London uh, this morning, and uh, it's, uh, it feels like a privilege to be with you guys. I, I uh, had a great uh, welcome from Mark, w- waiting for me at Orange Gate and uh, mark and i go back many 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 years uh when we used to play football I- in opposing teams so we've spent the last hour reminiscing about goals that were scored and kind of saves that were made uh but uh, Ma- Ma- so mark thanks for the thanks for the welcome and, and thanks also for just for the it just feels like i'm among friends um, so my background is I, uh, I'm out of a, of a new church background, the Pioneer Network of Churches. Um, I've been involved in church leadership for, uh, for years and years and years, uh, but also involved in various other initiatives, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that um, in, in a little while. But we're going to particularly want to focus on the issue um, of our oneness in Christ Jesus, uh, but also the challenges that we face in, the, in our relationships one with another. Because ultimately, our oneness in Christ Jesus is outworked, isn't it, in the day-to-day stuff of life, in our families, in our marriages, in our parent and child relationships, in the context of our local churches. So I want to try to dig into um, some of those things. But would you just allow me just for a moment, just to kind of just... I, I'd, I'd love to encourage... Uh, as many of you who aren't already individual members of the Evangelical Alliance, to consider um, becoming an individual member of the, of the Evangelical Alliance. You know, we exist um, to serve you as Bible-believing Christians here in the United Kingdom. We, we exist to be a voice for you uh, in the context of the media, in the context of relationships with government. And let me tell you, um, it's really important that your voice is heard. At this particular time, I think there are particular challenges that we are facing as a church, churches like ours, who believe in the Scripture and the importance of of being able to teach the Scripture and be able to reflect how we um, believe in Scripture in the way that we live. We have a team of people that are working in Westminster, working into the assemblies, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, and they're being a voice for you, talking to civil servants, to MPs, uh, to ministers, and bringing up issues that are important to you. Let me just give you a little example, about a year ago the government decided that they thought it was pretty important that every child that was out of school hours doing more than six hours in a whatever setting it might be including Sunday schools or youth work that that should be assessed and monitored in an Ofsted type way. We thought that was really quite a bad idea. Um, just imagine what that would mean for uh, organisers of a festival such as this, or maybe you as your, in your youth club. So we began to engage with the government on that issue, uh, behind the scenes, not able to talk about it while we're doing it. But about f- six weeks, eight weeks ago, the government announced they were going to stop that idea. They weren't going to do it. We thought that was a great result. It was, it was basically about serving you and your church to be able to ensure that we're able to reflect our faith in the way that we feel is appropriate here in the United Kingdom. So we're there for you, both as a voice, but also looking to be a table which brings together Christians for the sake of mission. And so um, one of the things that we have is what's called a missions team. It has a, it's a great commission hub website, which brings resources, the best resources you can possibly have for missional activity. And it's there to enable you as churches, but also as individuals, to be able to uh, engage in missional activities, bringing evangelism into the, the communities in which we are living and indeed which we are working. So... I'd love to encourage you, if you're not already a member, I'm I'm hoping that there are at least some of you already members, but I'd love to encourage you. I brought along um, some membership forms, um, and if you are able, at the end of our seminar, if you are able to become a member... We, we kind of ask for a, a minimum donation of about three pounds a month, the cost of, a co- uh, the cost of coffee. Uh, so if you're able to sign up today, um, what I'd love to do is to be able to give you a copy of my book and some other resources. We're going to talk a little bit about this book um, during the course um, of the, uh, this seminar. But I'd love for you to be able to go away, just a kind of a bit of appreciation the fact and um, that you were able to become a member today so let me let me leave that with you and uh, now we're going to get on and talk about the seminar um, and the subject that we are we are looking at today and let me just say how we're going to do this I, I, I intend to speak for about about 40 minutes that will that just mean that we've got time for some comments and questions and observations afterwards uh, and then I'd love to be able to pray together um, as we conclude the seminar. So if just I say that, it just means that do think of the comments or questions that you've got. Think about them as we go along so that we, we can um, engage with them um, at the end. Why don't we pray together? In fact, just as I say this, we're we're videoing this. So if you are watching it at home, a big welcome to you as well. Let's bow our heads and let's pray, shall we? Lord, as we we come to this subject of our relationships, our oneness in Christ Jesus, as we look at the question of how we relate in the context of of our relationships in the church, in the family, in our marriages, whatever context it might be, we want to ask you that you'll help us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us. And the things that we need to give attention to, that as a result of this exploration of your Word, that we will enable us, by your Spirit, to see our lives changed for good. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we are, we are one in Christ Jesus. The subject is our oneness and the truth of the matter is sometimes if you're like me and I look back on my life, however much I might believe in our oneness in Christ Jesus, the reality is sometimes it's flipping hard, isn't it? Am I, am I the only one? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, we look around this tent and we, we all look really good, don't we? And we know that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that we're all family together. We know that we share a Father in heaven. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes it's flipping hard. It's difficult. The, uh, the, the book that I kind of referred to earlier, I, I came back from holiday in July 2016 just convinced that God was asking me to write on this particular theme, and uh, to be absolutely honest, um, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. The deadlines was 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 incredibly tight, but I felt it was almost it was an act of obedience that I needed to write on this particular subject. And in the course of the book, I, I, I've explored various parts of my own life. You see, I'm a church leader by background. I'm out of a new church-type setting. But over the years, I've kind of got involved in... Do, do, who can remember back into the uh, 90s, 80s and 90s, a thing called March for Jesus? Anybody Anybody involved in March for Jesus? Yeah, well, I kind of, I, I kind of, I, I was kind of somehow involved in March for Jesus. I was the international chairman of March for Jesus, so somehow I got, got drawn into that, and then to two thousand. Those of you who were around London might might remember. a thing called soul in the city. Do you remember Soul City? Some of you kind of nodding in your head. Remember, but that was kind of like thousands of churches working together across the city of London. And then I got drawn to think of oh, Soul Survivor. Do you remember, do people know about Soul Survivor? And this kind of large Greek man by the name of Mike Polavachi dragged me into involvement with Soul Survivor. All this time, I I'm, I'm kind of said to Mike, but I'm just an aging church leader. What on earth would I get involved in Soul Survivor for? all well, these young people doing things. but And then I got involved in this called, thing called Hope. Do you remember Hope Awake? Well, it's actually still going, the Hope Initiative, doing, doing more, doing it together, doing it in the name, uh, of through words and through actions. And one of the things I, I've kind of felt as, as I've been involved in these, these initiatives, which are, haven't just been about my little local church or my network of churches or my denominational uh, church, is that something happens when we are building relationships outside of our immediate sphere of influence. I, I began to realize that there was a greater authority that God gave us as we were working as one church together, as opposed to different congregations in our particular community. And I began to, to, to recognize that, that there was something in this that God was giving, uh, putting his attention uh, to me in my, in my particular ministry. And so it was that nine years ago, I took on this role at the Evangelical Alliance. Now, let me be absolutely honest. If somebody told me eight years ago that I was going to take on the general director's role of the Evangelical Alliance, I would have laughed. You, you, can have, you can't be serious. You know, I, my, my life was busy enough and complex enough already without taking on a role like this. Now, there's a long story, but to, to bring the, sh- the story very short, I came to the conviction that God was asking me to throw my hat into the ring to bring leadership into a gathering, a, a community of representing two million evangelical Christians, charismatic Christians, Pentecostal Christians, from right across the spectrum um, of the church. I felt like God was asking me, and, and, and I, I responded out of obedience, and other people felt that was right. So nine years ago, I was uh, appointed to this particular role, and it was a shock uh, to, to, to find myself in this role. But let me tell you, having taken on this role, I feel as if I was ambushed by a particular scripture. And the scripture that I feel I was ambushed by was in John chapter 17. Now, I guess most of us know when I say John 17, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the great prayer of Jesus. Jesus, with his disciples, just hours before he goes to the cross... And he's with them, and he's praying for them. Do you, do you know the passage? We're going to read it in, in a minute, or part of it. John chapter 13 through 16, Jesus is, is preparing his disciples for his departure. And uh, he's, he's going to giving them some insights as to what the future is going to, going to look like. And he's answering some of their, some of their questions that he might give, might, they might have of him. As it comes to the end of John chapter 16, we have this extraordinary moment. So the crowds have gone. It's just Jesus and the disciples. And we have this extraordinary moment where we get insight to the humanity of Jesus. Jesus reflects and he, and he says, even you are going to leave me. He's talking to his disciples, his close friends, those that he's been with for, for three years. Even you are going to leave me. And it's almost as if the humanity of Jesus pushes to the front and he says, and I'll be on my own. And then he takes a breath and says, but, then I, but my Father will be with me. And then he prays. And the John 17 prayer begins with the word Father. He prays to the Father and we get this extraordinary insights as to the relationship of the father and the son. In fact, the invitation for us as his followers to be drawn into that relationship. See, as we sit here today, we, we, we sit here members members of the same congregation, part of the same network. Some of us might be colleagues working together. But actually, before all that, we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Before all that, we are family together. We are drawn into the family of heaven, the intimacy of the relationship of Father and Son, and indeed of Holy Spirit. And as we we read the prayer, um, it's an extraordinary high point it takes us to, and I want to just read uh, I- for in a moment. I've just realised I've left my my glasses in the, in my case, so I might uh, I might actually uh, let me see if I can read it without. No, I'm going to go and get my glasses. Hold on. Sorry about that. So we're going to, if you've got Bibles or you've got your phones or your iPads or whatever, turn to uh, to John chapter 17 and verse 20. And we're coming to the high point of the prayer. And Jesus prays like this. My prayer is not for them alone, i.e. those that are in the room. I'm praying also for those who will believe in me through their message. Just take a moment. Hours before he goes to the cross, Jesus is praying for us. <laughs> Do you find that encouraging? I, I, I find that extraordinarily encouraging. He's praying for us—those of who us who are those of us who will believe in Him. For those who are in the room, He's praying for us. That will believe in their message. That all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. Oh, that's that intimacy—the intimacy of the relationship in the Godhead—that they may be in us, so that the world might believe that you sent me. Wow! I just want you to know that. that notice that little final statement there. See, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for a oneness, an intimacy. He's praying for a unity of our relationship, a oneness in Christ Jesus. But he, he concludes it with a, a statement of purpose. It's unity not simply for unity's sake, although there is something about unity for unity's sake, but there's an end in it as well that the world might believe. It seems as if our unity carries a missional imperative. There's greater authority. There's greater effectiveness in our mission, in our oneness, than in our individual separation. So we are one in Christ Jesus. We are a family. We are united in Him. We share the one Holy Spirit. So we can relax, can't we? It's all okay. No need to worry. Let's stop the seminar now. It's all—it's all sorted. Well, it seems like that's not the case. Because as we agree together, sometimes it gets flipping hard in our relationships, one with another. You see, it seems as if our oneness, which is a spiritual reality, we are one in Christ. But the invisible, the spiritual reality needs to be made visible. You see, unity, oneness, can go wrong relationships can get damaged. We are different. We see things differently. We see things in different ways. We have disagreements. We have arguments. There's conflicts. We have cultural and social preferences. And it seems as if, the, as we read the, 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 the New Testament, the early church writers spent so much time addressing the issues of our relationships, of their relationships, addressing issues of conflict, of disagreement, of divisions, exhorting the early church in terms of their unity, one, within, uh, one with another, exhorting them in the midst of their diversity to find a unity. Let's just turn again, let's turn, our, turn to Scripture again and look at in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul, one of his regular themes is about our relationships, about the issues of unity in the local church. In Ephesians chapter 4, you might turn to it at the beginning. Uh, We're going to read just a a few verses here. Paul puts it like this. He's writing from prison. So he says, A prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, chapter 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling... You have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then just look at, notice these words make every effort. Say that again. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body one Spirit, just as we're called to one hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. Lots of ones there. He's making a point. He's writing from prison. He wants them to know this. This is important. This oneness requires us to make every effort. And then the next few verses, it talks about the church coming to maturity. It talks about the the role of ministries, whether it's apostles, whether it's prophets, whether it's pastors, whether it's teachers, whether it's evangelists, bringing the church, equipping the church towards maturity. And verse 13, Paul puts it like this, until we all reach, this is the maturity bit, until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What will that look like? We'll be no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking truth in love, we will grow to become In every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by ever-supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up. How? In love, as each part does its work. So we're called to make every effort. If this unity, this oneness bit's important, it doesn't just happen. It has to be outworked. The invisible has to be made visible in the everyday stuff of life. So, how does it work out in practice? Well, I want us just to t- take very quickly three themes. The first theme I want to look at is making every effort by celebrating our unity then we're going to talk about making every effort by dealing with disunity. And finally, and really quickly, we're going to talk about making every effort by guarding our unity. So firstly, making every effort by celebrating our unity. See, this is the practical stuff. This is the everyday stuff of life. It's not just the big national gatherings where we come together and we affirm our unity, whether it's a unity in, 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 in commission or whether it's unity in the body of Christ, at wider gatherings and wider settings. It's, it's, it's the local stuff. It's the family stuff as well. We celebrate our unity by investing in our relationships. We celebrate our relationships in our families. Yeah, yeah, our community family. Yes. As we worship, as we pray, as we open Scripture. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just what happens on a Sunday morning. It's in our eating together. It's in our having fun together. It's our parties. It's our celebrations. It's helping each other out. It's shared homes, shared cars, shared DIY equipment, shared gardening equipment, a week like this, shared tents or whatever else it might be. But we we do life together. As we do life together and relationships together, we celebrate our unity and Anne and I, um, over the last over the years of our marriage, I think we we've had. I think the, our latest count was something between seventy and eighty people who have lived with us as part of a household. We've lived in what we call extended household, and uh, most people it's been you know it's kind of two or three years. I think the record is someone who came for three months and stayed for nine years. Um, but we've just chose to live like that. You see, relationships require investment. Now, I'm not saying everybody should live like that, but if we're going to do this relationship, thing, we've got to be prepared to invest in it. There's a wonderful New Testament word which describes how we do relationships together. And it's the word, we we, we don't use it all that much these days. It's the word fellowship. It's a bit of an old word, isn't it? We don't tend to talk about fellowship. I used to be part of a church which was called Cobham Christian Fellowship. I don't know if there's any churches called that these days. But anyway, uh, it's an old word, but it's a wonderful word. It's a word which carries, one theologian uh, translated it like this, an expression of enthusiastic love. Isn't that good? That's the relationship that God wants for us. That's what celebrating our oneness looks like. We express enthusiastic love. There's something supernatural in this. It's something which is beyond simply that which we can manufacture ourselves. We, we are, in a sense, caught up in that relationship of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Stuff. We we are together, we are family together, we rejoice together, but we also weep together. There's great, you know, the great pain at times in relationships as we face the pain of others who are suffering and struggling. And in these relationships, extraordinarily, it's not just people like me or people like you, we, we come together in our diversity. One of the things I love about my church back home, and I'm in a church, a pioneer church in West London, and one of the things I love about my church is, we've got babes in arms, we've got grannies and granddads, we've got rich, we've got poor, we've got highly, highly educated, and people that really struggled in, in school. We've got, you know, you just get incredible. People from all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds but we're church, we're family. What other settings bring that kind of people together? One of the great delights for me uh, over the last nine years is discovering the diversity of the church here in the UK. We, we estimate between 20 and 25% of evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic Christians here in the UK come from ethnic minorities. But that's, that's a big chunk of people, isn't it? extraordinary, amazing groups of people. One of the great rich things for me over the last years is building relationship with the African church and the Caribbean church and the Chinese church and the Korean church and the South American church and churches from so many different parts of the world. We are brothers and sisters in Christ in the midst of extraordinary diversity, one of the things that we established very early on, because we felt if we're serious about unity, it has to be unity that crosses all ethnic expressions. And so we formed this thing called the One People Commission, and we appointed somebody who's a wonderful Nigerian, larger than life pastor, called Pastor Yemi. Uh, as its director. And he's just an amazing guy. And he, Pastor Yemi, and I have become really good friends. And we've built these relationships together across the church. But it's church in our diversity. Thank God for it. This is a unity which speaks as to how we conduct ourselves in every area of our lives. Yes, we're diverse. But it speaks into how we do our friendships. Friendships. It speaks into how we do our households. It speaks into how we do our husband and wife relationships. It speaks into how we do our parenting. It speaks into how single people live together in households together. You see, this kind of enthusiastic love relationships shouts to the world. Do you remember the prayer that the world might believe? There's something about this that, that gives authenticity to our faith. We're living in a way that shouts something of the Godhead, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we celebrate our unity as we express it in our relationships, one to one with each other, reflecting the unity of the Godhead. So secondly... So we talked about celebrating our unity, but then we're just going to talk about making every effort by dealing with disunity. Ooh. You see, as I, I've just recently been reading the, 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 through the New Testament again and just struck me how much time is devoted by various of the, uh, the early church writers to the issue of disunity, of, dis, of conflict. It's one of the issues that Paul particularly has, has to give a lot of attention to. It gives a, a lot of looking at dif- we, we, uh, how does how do we deal with our differences, with our disagreements, even with our divisions. Now, now I'm going to talk a, a little, take a little moment, and it gets a little bit technical now. So you might want to, sw- if you're kind of, you might want to switch off. I'm going to take about two minutes over this. Uh, if you want to, kind of, I'll tell you when to come back in if you kind of, you, if you okay, so let me just be a bit technical for a while. I'm going to talk about three different orders of conflict. I think there are three different orders, degrees of conflict. Now the third order of conflict, I'm, I'm describing it as a minor skirmish, Again, areas of miscommunication, personal preferences, where we we don't get on with each other because we have preferences and we don't agree with the preference of another. Different ways of seeing things. Maybe a breakdown of organization, administration. See, it seems to me what happened in Acts chapter 6 is one of those. Do you remember in Acts chapter 6 there's a disagreement early on in the life of the church about the distribution of food and the the, the Greek-speaking Jews and the Jewish speaking, the Hebrew Jews, were in disagreement as to how food should be distributed and the Greek speakers felt they weren't getting a fair deal. Jesus had some examples of this third order skirmish. Do you remember uh, the arguments by two of the disciples as to who was the greatest? I I love the fact that the New Testament wasn't written by spin doctors. You You get the rough stuff with the good stuff. Do you remember the discussion by a couple of the disciples and their mother trying to organize who would sit on either side of Jesus uh, in the age to come? Do you, do you remember that? The kind of minor skirmishes, minor gi- disagreements. And the, some of the other disciples listening on, in on it gets, get upset about it and Jesus has to bring a, a judgment on it. Now, these minor skirmishes, they take place in families. They take place among friends. They take place in marriages. They take place in churches. We need to take the minor skirmishes seriously, but they are minor, skir- ser- uh, minor skirmishes. If we don't take them seriously, they can escalate, and they can escalate to second-order conflicts. So, first-order, third-order, second-order conflicts. The stakes are raised. It can easily escalate. It can easily become more serious. In Acts chapter 15, we have Paul and Barnabas falling out of each other. Do you remember that? It's over John Mark, and it's on the second missionary journey, and whether John Mark should actually travel with them on that second missionary journey. And um, in actual fact, um, uh, as it's translated in in the English, it doesn't really do justice to this argument that was going on. In fact, it was a flaming row that Paul and Barmas. It, it was a full-on row, and they separated. It wasn't a glorious moment in the life of the early church. No, it wasn't. It was terrible what happened, and that these two friends who had been colleagues separate over this particular issue. Now, the, com- the gospel hasn't been compromised, but they had different judgments about that particular issue, And there are other situations like that. We see um, Paul talking about food that's been offered to idols. We talk about there's indications about differences regarding the use of spiritual gifts. There's issues around the love feast. In each of these, the gospel hasn't been compromised, but there's disagreement, there's differences. What could some of those modern-day, second-order issues look like? Well, perhaps some of the teaching around charismatic gifts perhaps teaching around end times, perhaps teaching around the state of Israel or church government or baptism or women in leadership. I mean, each of those are important issues, but they are of second order. The gospel isn't compromised. But then we come to first order conflicts where the gospel integrity is at stake or the mission of God could potentially be be compromised. Galatians chapter two, Paul and Peter are in conflict with each other. Do you remember? Do you remember what happened? Peter is in in, in, in the church there in Galatia, and, and uh, he's been eating happily. No, sorry, in Antioch he's been in Galatians two. Pete, Paul tells the story of what happened in Antioch. In Antioch, Peter's been eating happily with the Gentile Christians, Peter, some delegates from Peter come, uh, from Jerusalem come down, including Peter, and Peter stops eating with the, the Gentile Christians. Paul publicly points out the hypocrisy of Peter. Whoa, that sounds a bit heavy. Why? i tell you why. Because he, Paul realized there was a deep threat which could compromise the gospel there was a danger we could have two churches we could have a hebrew church and a gentile church and because of the seriousness he decided to call it out and we can only presume that peter changed his position and repented 1 corinthians is another example uh, in 1 corinthians there's a there's there's an issue in the church and the issue is around the accommodation of sin a man is sleeping with his father's wife and the church is proud of it. They're boasting about it. Now Paul brings a judgment on that man that he should be put out of fellowship. They they have compromised as far as Paul is concerned and he's very strong. Let me just read how he puts it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 9. Do you not know that the wrongdoer, speaking about this man who's been uh, involved in uh, inappropriate sexual activity, do you know that this wrongdoer will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not de- do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, if according to Paul, this is a first-order conflict, and the New Testament requires, or Paul requires, um, this repentance or separation in this setting. Uh, in the book, uh, some of you will be aware of this particular issue, one I think probably the most difficult issues that we struggled with over the last few years is when a dear friend of mine, a a friend um, by the name of of Steve Chalk, um, changed his position on the issues of human sexuality. And we had to grapple with that. And again, uh, without going into details, in in the book I refer to it, how we dealt with that particular situation. These are painful things. These aren't things that we deal with easily. But it was necessary for us to uh, handle that and handle it with clarity. It seems to me that there are three options that we face when we deal with conflict. This is the moment you can switch back in. If you kind of switched off because it was getting a bit technical, okay. Uh, those of you switched off, please switch back on. Okay, turn your iPad off or whatever, you know, if you can, but uh, l- Stop listening to the music. We're, we're back into less technical stuff. So three options in dealing with conflict. And these, th- we're talking about not just in a local church or national church. Actually, this is particularly relevant in families, among friends, in local church. First option, we explode. Uh, if we fight. There's verbal backlash. What happened in Acts chapter 15 with Paul and Barnabas? Ungodly attitude. Short term, we might feel better. But long term, we end up feeling Guilty. At the very worst, when we explode, it can turn into open warfare and people taking sides and divisions in the church. The second option, I call it the backdoor approach to conflict. The backdoor approach is, basically, we don't face the issue through the front door. We go in through the back door. What does the back door look like? Well, the back door kind of look like pre- like gossip. We gossip about the issue. You know, I've discovered there's a thing called prayer gossip. We just kind of talk to the Lord and others are listening in on it. It's called prayer gossip. For guys, often we use humor in dealing with conflict. We don't actually talk about it, but we just use some humorous stuff to try to make a point. Our humor can be incredibly destructive And and damaging. Or for others, it can be around emotional blackmail, moves, backbiting, moaning, the withdrawal of privileges. It's the backdoor approach to dealing with conflict. The third approach, I call it the shove it under the carpet approach. Okay, the, the shove it under the carpet approach. And actually, there's lots of British churches that operate with this approach. So something happens in the life of a church uh, you know, a, a disagreement over how you should do some youth work or this, how you set up the meeting or whatever it might be and some unhelpful things have been said or, uh, and whatever. And rather than dealing with it and talking about it, what we do is we shove it under the carpet. Now, let me tell you, there's a little really helpful phrase. If you want to use the shove it under the carpet approach to dealing with conflict, the little phrase is this, it doesn't really matter. Or... It's not all that important. I want you to tell you, the shove it under the carpet approach to dealing with conflict results in a church life, which is basically like this, because there's so much under the carpet. You've really got to be incredibly careful how you navigate. Sometimes I go to churches and I go, what's going on here? Why why do those people not talk to those people? what's, What's going on? And you realize there's so much shoved under the carpet. It's not actually... Being dealt with. Now, Jesus won't allow us to get away with any of those options. Do you remember Matthew chapter 18? What does Jesus teach in the context of conflict? If your brother sins against you, what have you got to do? You've got to go and see him. Matthew chapter 5, he gets at you the other way. Jesus won't let us get away with this. He says, if you're on your way to the temple and you remember that somebody has something against you, you've got to go and see them. So either way, Jesus gets you. Jesus' exhortation, Jesus' teaching to us is, deal with conflicts. Deal with it. How do we deal with it? Through faithfulness. How do we deal with it? by by willingness to have the conversations, that we look the conflict in the eye, we engage with each other, recognizing the the conflict. And if we can't sort it out ourselves, we ask somebody else to help us to sort it out. Let me tell you, when Anne and I were first married, we nearly killed each other. I mean, there were so many areas. I mean, that we disagreed in so many areas we couldn't get right. And it was it was like it, 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 days, some days it felt like a war zone. We realized if our marriage was going to survive, we needed help. And for a number of years in the early days of our marriage, we would meet on a regular basis with a, of another couple, and we would talk to that couple about how we were getting on with each other and some of the areas we were struggling with. We realized we needed help. And even today, we have got this kind of agreement that if Anne and I, sorry, I should explain Anne's my wife, uh, uh, if you've got any doubt about that, uh, if Anne and I uh, can't sort it out ourselves, either of us have got the right to go to somebody else and say, Look, we're struggling to sort this out, can you help us? And we will both welcome that person in to ask them to help us to sort that out. Because you see, we need each other if we're going to be faithful. And I, I, This is a call to us. In dealing with conflict, let's be faithful to each other. We could use the word being willing to confront each other. I, I, I prefer faithfulness. I want to be faithful. I don't like having the hard conversations. But I know if I'm going to be faithful, sometimes it requires me. To talk to a brother or a sister that I'm struggling with and not getting on with, because it requires faithfulness. And just a little note to leaders on this regard. Faithfulness in leadership is essential, isn't it? Faithfulness being willing in the context of a life of a church to be able to engage on issues that might become shoved under the carpet. But can I just say this as well? Very often as a leader, you can get somebody come to you and says to you, you know, such and such has taken place, I think you ought to sort it out. And often what I say in that situation is this, thank you so much for sharing that with me, I'm sure you're going to want to go and talk to that person about that issue, aren't you? See, very often leaders get expected to fire other people's bullets. It's very unhelpful if a leader spends all their time spending firing other people's bullets. Now, sometimes a leader does have to, if the life of the church is under threat, and it's a potential damage to the life of the church, you've got to be prepared to en- engage in that. But actually, most cases when those conversations take place, it's a personal thing that the other person needs to be prepared to be faithful with regard to. So, this willingness to be faithful to each other is love worked out in practice. Remember that passage we read, verse 15, Ephesians chapter 4, speaking the truth in love to each other. What does Jesus say? By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love each other. This is love, outworked in practice. This is how we deal with issues that come up between us. This is how we maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is how we d- it, it model grace and truth-telling. Verse 16, again that same passage, growing and building ourselves up in love. Yes, diverse. Yes, different. But through our faithfulness and in our love, we grow in maturity. And then finally, and very, very quickly finally, we guard our unity. We make every effort by guarding our unity. It's a spiritual battle. I'm convinced it's a spiritual battle. It's a battle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Satan hates a united church. Satan hates Strong marriages, strong families, good relationships in the body of Christ. He hates it, and therefore he's going to use every possible strategy he can to escalate those minor disagreements and turn them into serious division amongst us. So we need to be prepared to take action, but we also need to be praying together praying for the unity of our church, praying for the unity of our marriages, praying for unity in our families, praying for our relationships one within each other, because Satan hates it, but God loves it. Let's stop at that moment. i tell you, I tell you what I want us to do before we finish. I'd love just to pray for our relationships, but let's just see if there's any comments, questions, observations that people uh, want to make. I appreciate if you're watching on television, it's probably difficult for you to be able to do that. But uh, any any comments people have got or questions people want to raise as the ground that we've covered this morning? Stunned silence. I'll oh, we'll just wait a few moments. I'll just grab a. Okay, good. To the church like. yeah so a uh, question asked there about um, celebrating our unity have you got examples of how churches have done it um, and how they've done it well um, and I suppose I, I in in, in responding to that I kind of want to talk about the you know, the, the kind of s- the small stuff as well as the big stuff because we can organize big stuff and I've been inv- Involving in organizing some really big stuff, you know, the March for Jesus stuff and the hope stuff. And it's fantastic, you know, that kind of, and uh, particularly celebrating our unity and doing mission together has been absolutely amazing, you know, and, and in terms of evangelism and social action. Some of this fantastic stuff that's going on. I mean, most of the initiatives that are happening at the moment, you know, whether it's night shelters or deck counseling or, 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 or street passage, uh, you, you know, you name it. Most of it is actually churches working collaboratively together as opposed to working individually. I think there's a God move at the moment, actually. If we had more time, I'd talk about it. It's a God move of unity at a local level where people are... N- for kind of w- one, putting to on one side our particular denominational brand or network brand, and we're saying, actually, you no, know, we, we, we recognize we're, we're part of this network, but we're also part of the church in our particular town and city, and we're going to express that and celebrate. So there's some fantastic stuff of like that. But in terms of a local level, and in terms of family level, I mean, just if I, if I just say, for example, let me just give you one example, and there's just one. My church, this Sunday... We'll not be meeting in the, in where we normally meet, which is university in West London. We're going to be meeting in the park, uh, uh, in the centre of Ealing. And we're going to do lunch together and play games together. We're just going to hang out together. Um, I, uh, my church back home um, just a few months ago did a, uh, uh, an evening where we took a, an upper room in a, in a local pub. And we did an open mic night. And it was for the church, but it was for the church to invite their, their friends in on as well. And as we do that kind of stuff, we kind of celebrate stuff. So, I mean, I guess what's happening with you guys coming off, here, coming here, isn't it? What happens here in one week or how many days you're here and you're kind of living together in your kind of little community and you've got your little marquees where you eat breakfast together and uh, and, and have lunch and meals together and all that. And, and at the end of the evening, you, you might have a little glass of wine or a beer together. You know, th- those are the kind of things, aren't they, where you do family together. You can't quantify the importance, the value of those things. So I think it's thinking creatively about those kind of things. Okay, good. Other co- comment? We're kind of uh, aware people are having to leave for children, um, but I do want to pray before we go. Any, any other comments, questions? Yeah. what's what fun grace okay what's grace and what's sweeping under it? so question how do you discern what is extending grace to someone and what is shoving it under the uh, under the carpet and that's a that's a really really good question and and we do we do need to discern it I think we need the work of the Holy Spirit I mean ultimately I, I remember years ago hearing a particular piece of teaching which was um, that that it was Psalm twenty, talking about Psalm twenty-three, and the teacher was was saying, you know, that, that God delegates aspects of his shepherding role to others, but ultimately he is the good shepherd. He call he is the shepherd. He doesn't give up. He won't abdicate his role of being the shepherd. And so, any role that we might f- fulfill in our care for people, our pastoring of people, is as is as an under shepherd of the shepherd. And I I, I suppose for me. Part of the discernment issue, we we kind of discernment means we need the Holy Spirit's help, is recognizing where is this person in their journey of faith? What is God doing in their life at this moment of time? And in the light of that, what would God ask me to bring to the surface, uh, bring into my conversation with that person? Now, what we can't do is respond out of fear that we might get a bad reaction. We can't r- uh, respond, uh, you know, we're going to talk about a particular issue, let's talk about finances and the handling of money or whatever. W- we, can't, we, 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 we can't respond because, oh, we might get a bad reaction or they might get offended. No, we can't do it that way. But where, what would the Holy Spirit, what is the father, the shepherding role for that particular individual at this time? Is this the right time for that to be brought to the surface or should we wait for some time for that to happen? Is that I don't know if that helps. It's a great question though. Okay, yeah. 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 okay so a question asked about in the context of family uh, if one member of the family is a, is a follower of jesus and another person isn't and the potential of difficulties in that and how do you relate i guess you're saying how do you relate in that in that kind of setting again we we need god's we need god's grace don't we uh, we, we, we and we need discernment as to how we relate well my 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 prayer in in those kind of situations is god may it be that the believing husband or wife and the family of the believing husband and wife, in their relating to those who do, that one who doesn't know Christ, that, that that relationship might be such that they will be drawn closer to Christ through our relating one, w- one with them. So that's, that's the ultimate outcome that we're looking for, aren't it? Our outcome is not that we, we win agreement with what we believe. It's we want them ultimately to come to Christ. So what would be the way that we would work and, and relate to them that they might come to Christ? Now, I know it can get really, really complex in certain situations, and I'm sure you, you, you know, looking at your, uh, well, uh, 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 thinking about that question, I'm sure there's, there's a backstory to that. But we, we need God's help in some of these things. We really do. I think we need to stop. I think we need to pray. Well, can I ask you to, to stand as we pray? And it, it just might be that um, we, as we've taught this morning, we, we, there's just a recognition that there are certain relationships in our lives which are out of order where there isn't a oneness in Christ whether it's in a family setting or whether it's in a church setting, um, uh, 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 whether it's among friends. And we just kno- know that, w- you know, that we've, we need to do something about it and we need God's help to do that. I, if, that's, if, that's you, if that's you, maybe just a, a way just kind of let, let there be, an, I'm not going asking, to ask asking you to put your hand up or anything, but just let there be an acknowledgement. That's me. That's where I'm at. And as we bow our heads... Just You might want to think about that situation or bring to the Lord that person or that group of people. And Holy Spirit, we are asking you, Lord, in the multitude of situations that are represented in this tent, that you will come by the power of the Holy Spirit. And where there seems to be no way that you will make a way. Where situations have evolved over perhaps for some many, many years, decades. But where things seem stuck, Lord, that you will unstuck them. Even now, would you work in In each of our hearts, Lord, are the things that we need to change? Would you change us? Before we ask to change others, would you change us? Would you soften our hearts? Would you cause there to be enthusiastic love in us? And Lord, would you, even now, perhaps indicate a step that we can take that might be towards oneness, that might be towards unity. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.